Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, from Adler to Amberley. An attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Carl Kopak, and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. My guest this week to discuss the Blue Carbuncle is Paul Edwards. Paul Edwards is a director of primary care for the National Health Service. And um, just full disclosure, he, we, he and I have been friends for just approaching 35 years. Um, because of that, and just to avoid any confusion, that might be the first time in about a decade I've referred to him as Paul. So if you hear reference to Ed, Eddie, even Ted, there is only still Paul on the call with, with me today. There aren't four other people in the room. Ed, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Good to hear from you. I've known you for a very, very long time. We were at school together, of course, uh, but because we went to an all-boys school and I'm a year older than you, we couldn't possibly talk to each other. So uh, I only got to know you after school um, when we did our A-levels. Um, but if you put a gun to my head now, well, somebody put a gun to my head now, and said, well, they couldn't because of social distancing. Um, if they did that and said, what does Paul Edwards do? All I could say is NHS. What exactly is a director of primary care? <laughs> um, well, it, it, it's it, it's more complicated than it sounds. So primary care is the uh, part of the NHS that uh, is mainly general practice, um, but it also includes optometrists and dentists. But we only look after general practices. So what people may not know is GPs aren't employed by the NHS. Um, they're contracted to the NHS, so they're actually independent contractors. So we have to make sure that we, we have appropriate contracts and make sure they're doing their job properly. And in light of the current crisis, because most GPs now don't want to see patients, uh, you know, they want to see them remotely, we have to make sure they can do that uh, w without face-to-face -face contacts where possible. But where they do need to do face-to-face -face contacts, we put appropriate uh, locations in place where they can be properly protected and make sure the patients are safe as well. So routinely it's you know just managing the GP uh, aspect of the NHS but as things stand at the present clearly um, you know GPs are a huge part in making sure people are okay. Um, people still want to talk to their GP and what we mustn't forget in the current crisis is there's still a lot of people unrelated to COVID who, you know, have diabetes, heart conditions, who yeah, still of course, yeah. contact their GP. So so overall, it's just making sure that that bit is working okay. And on, on the world where, where I work, we're quite lucky. We have quite a good, strong um, general practice workforce, you know, very positive, very keen to care for their patients. But, uh, you know, clearly the times are, in, are unprecedented. You know, this, this is a once in, a, in an era uh, time for us all. So, um, I'm lucky and I can work from home, but, you know, a lot of our frontline NHS staff are still out there seeing people and, you know, fair play to them. They're doing a great job. So, so it's, it's similar in a way when, when you say they're contracted. It's like locums in a way where you, you go and see a doctor says we, we brought a locum in. So basically that's like a hiring thing almost. Uh, it, it's sort of, no, it's it's more that the, 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 no, I mean, I mean, for locums rather than, you know, for, for you know, full time, not my doctor around the corner. But yeah, no, your doctor in. around the corner will be a contractor as well. So even your normal GP, okay. uh, they are contracted to the NHS as our dentists. So if you take a hospital consultant, for example, they they work for the NHS yeah. directly and their pay packet comes from the NHS. But GPs get a contract value and then they pay themselves out of that one. So where, where it's different and, you know, without sounding like an old horror, uh, my staff in the NHS, I can technically boss them about and tell them what to do um, and sack them if they're really naughty. Whereas a GP, 
I can't do that. Um, so what I have to do is make sure we have a contract in place that enables me to ask GPs what to do and then make sure they're remunerated appropriately. So it's it's a very unusual thing, but they are the front line of the NHS. But most people assume they work for the NHS and they don't. I did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not to say they're not part of the family. It's just a slightly different relationship to say a nurse who works in a hospital but nonetheless we treat them exactly the same and you know they are our front line to all extents and purposes they're the people they go to and the reason we call the primary care is they are the primary uh, points of contact for people who are trying to access healthcare effectively so there's lots of you around there's lots of direct for primary care one for every sort of uh, yeah mo- most segment. most places have a have a me or a variation yeah. of a me uh you know some of them not not quite so easy going <laughs> but you know um you know what what we've got to make sure of is that um that there are certain regulatory things we need to do with uh, general practice to make sure that they uh, are up to the right standards and that kind of thing so um you know but 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 the thing is rather than dealing with say our local local hospital with general practice, I have 50 practices that, that I deal with. So okay. um, it, it's a more complicated relationship. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I really enjoy working with GPs that are, you know, that are a good bunch. Um, uh, some of them very kind of smart with ideas. And because they have that flexibility as independent contractors, we can innovate more, uh, come up with some good ideas and, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, it has its pluses, uh, has its challenges too. And I've just realised that um, I've got a cousin who's a GP on the Wirral, but uh, we'll have a chat about him later on. Uh, <laughs> very, long, very long story. I don't actually know his surname because he's changed it. Um, so you have to guess by first name. Um, so at the moment then, not busy much, a bit quiet this time of year? Uh, not, not, not so much, uh, you know. So effectively, it's, it's, it's the strangest time I've known. Um, it's got to be, isn't it? It's got to be. And it's strange in two in two different ways. One it, well, there's lots of different ways, but two in, in the main. And uh, what, one thing I never really appreciate appreciate how much I enjoy working in an office. Um, so obviously, my job I'm not I'm not a doctor or a nurse. I'm a I'm a manager effectively, which is the, you know I'm the typical bureaucrat. But um, but nonetheless, uh, that means that most of my team who help with all that kind of stuff uh, can't work remotely. And whilst we can do things like this, and you know we we video conference. I really miss the whole going into work because, you know, you, you forget the whole social aspect of talking yeah. to people every day. And it's so much more difficult to get things done when you have to wait for a video conference as opposed to just nipping over to someone's desk and asking them things, you know. So that that's a struggle at a personal level because I, I, I hadn't realised, because I'm, I'm, I'm quite an antisocial bugger. I just like, you know, holding up. Can, I, can I confirm that to the listeners? He, absolutely. He, yeah. he, you're 100% there. Give me a good book and a... And a and a box set. I'm, I'm a happy man. Um, so, I, so I thought this isn't going to be a problem for me, but actually, it's it's more difficult than I'd anticipated. But so that's just a personal thing. But the 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 real shift here is clearly now because of social distancing in the main. The bulk of the NHS now operates differently. So you know, you you you're a bit ill. You would normally go to your GP surgery, sit in front of your GP. You can't do that now. So the main the main way of contacting GP now is what we call total triage. So it will be video or telephone. Yeah. Um, so the way we we manage our patients is very different. And you know, where where it's okay for the NHS, I suppose, is it's one of those services where most are defined as key workers. And whilst they're the most, if you like, exposed to some of the risks, what they have that some people I know are starting to to struggle with is. A regularity to their day they go to work they do their job um you know people i know who work outside of, of the nhs are really struggling now because um either they're working in jobs where they might be furloughed or they don't have jobs because the businesses they work for have stopped you know and yeah so in some ways i'm quite lucky in that i'm in a role that carries on because it, you know uh, it, it will carry on but you know it'll always be needed yeah you know folks in small businesses you know p- people who work behind bars it, it must be an absolute nightmare for them because what we're not seeing, as we saw in the in the press yesterday and in the briefing, is any endpoint. And I think the key the key thing people want is, and it doesn't really matter when it is, but a point where they can say, oh, well, this point we might see a change or back to normality. And I think that's where people now are getting a little bit 
irritated being at home really because you know it, it, people like a finite thing to hang on to don't they but clearly at the moment the government isn't saying that that's possible yeah that's the thing i think if you say like you know it'll be over in three weeks then people go okay well I'll, i can live with this for three weeks yeah so I, I think you know i think i think there's a bit of a pressure now from from keir starmer who um seems to me like a a decent guy and as an nhs um, employee i'm not allowed to express political views but if i say i think keir starmer i am a pretty good guy uh, i think i think you probably guess my political stripe um you know and what and what keir is saying or sir keir is you know that you know what people want to see is an extra strategy so we know that if this happens this is what's going to happen next so for example what i would be looking for is if hospital admissions reduced by x point we might allow you know, small businesses to reopen. And that gives you a sense of, uh, get that now, because when that thing happens, and if we all do the right thing now, that will be the outcome that we're looking for. So so the link for me in terms of making people do the right thing, as, as you know, this weekend, it's a sunny one, we want people to stay in, is the trade-off there is if you do that, the endpoint might be quicker, and this is what you'll see in place, you know. So yeah. I, think, I think, you know, the... the the, the the way out of any situation is it's it's like when you're in if, when a and e is opening normally you don't mind waiting as long as you know how long you're going to be waiting for so yeah exactly so if someone, someone comes and say sorry there paul you're going to be you know another two hours is that all right they think okay no now just kept me up to date and i know when it's going to be i'll go to the shop and buy a paper um it's that sense of oh, well could it be 10 hours could, be, could it be 14 hours and it's the same thing here i think people just need a sense of if these things fall into place, then you might see X and Y happening and you get a sense of then, OK, well, people can think, yeah, I get that. And, you know, in May, we might see this or we might see that in June, um, you know, and I think I think it, it and I do appreciate, to be fair to, to, to the, the government, it's difficult because on the one hand, the lockdown is, and do tell me if I'm rambling on too much about, about COVID. Well, we, we will get to Sherlock at some point, but, it's Carry on. <laughs> but the, the thing with, with COVID is, um, you know, the, the 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 health experts are clearly saying, you know, flatten the curve, make this as slow uh, an infectious disease as possible so that we can manage patients in the NHS. And that's right. But at the same time, you know, the, the economic and personal impact that is really difficult. And the reason why I think the government delayed closing schools and closing businesses is they know full well the impact on on people of that. So whilst it's right for health reasons to try and pe- keep people indoors, equally, businesses you know small businesses hairdressers you know small clothes shops they're they're going to struggle because they can't see an end point to this one and that's where i think that balance between allowing people to do their normal things to to survive and you know earn a living are up against the government stands to keep people alive and not be infected by covid you know so it's a really tricky thing and i wouldn't envy anyone who had to make that decision and and that idea of you know, if things are improving, but we take the, the cuffs off too quickly and then we end up with reinfection, it's a really tricky call because that's a real possibility. So, um, you know, whilst we all want things to get back to normal, I think it will be more of a staged approach uh, when we succeed. Yeah, I think so as well. Yeah, like, like as I said, like a halfway house almost where sort of things allowed in bit by bit, and then we're all released back into society, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think you know at the moment it is you know clearly one of the things we have to keep telling people in in, in the NHS as NHS workers is please stay at home. You know, however much you want to go out, don't do it. You know, because the sooner you stay indoors, the sooner we get out of this. You know, so attempting no it is to think oh well, I'll just bob round to my mates and see how he's doing. Um, you know, it's it's a tricky one because that that's exactly what we don't want to happen. How hot, however hard that might be, and as a, you know, as a personal thing. You know, my folks are still over there in the 70s. They're in the higher risk group. Um, and I, I, you know, talk to them by, by phone, but I, I'm not going to see them. And that's hard, you know. Um, you know, and I think that's hard for a lot of people knowing you've got family who you can't go and see, make sure they're OK. But on the other hand, what I will say is I've probably touched base with more people in the last few weeks than I've done in years. Because yeah. it makes you make the effort. You know, so so there are some kind of pluses here in terms of re interacting with people, maybe who you've not touched base with for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, finding a bit of that as well. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this um, talk tomorrow. Uh, this will be so by the time this podcast comes out, it will be gone. But I'm doing a, an online ripper presentation tomorrow 
And uh, I, I've spoken to more Ripper people <laughs> in the past week than I have uh, at any time in the last year. Instantly. Um, I, I will mention, before we go into Sherlock, one final thing. And you, you can't comment. I'm not going to make you comment or anything like that. But it was nice to see that um, Matt Hancock blaming the nurses for abusing PPE, uh, the, the personal protection equipment, um, because last week it was footballers that were the problem. So now it's nurses. So that's good. Um, and one final thing, and I'm going to get tweets about this. Um, it's OK, though, because we've got that £350 million a week coming in uh, now we've left the EU. Um, you can't comment on that, so I'm going to move on to Sherlock. Go on. He's not disagreeing with me, though, is he? I, um, uh, I'm not disagreeing in any way. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Um, staple questions, really. I always start with the same two questions, um, even if I know the answer to this one. What attracted you to Sherlock? When did you start all your, your Sherlock meanderings? Well, uh, I, you know, I'd love to say that, you know, I was a really literary kid and mum and dad gave me a collection of uh, stories when I, that never happened. So to me, it was Basil Rathbone on the box, uh, you know, when I must have been, I can't even place the exact time, 9, 10, 11, maybe. And, you know, absolutely fell in love with him. And obviously now we all look at those films and think, you know, uh, well, and at the time I didn't realise some of them were set in contemporary wartime. I yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that, that spy was, that things was going thing. on. And, you know, uh, obviously once we read the stories and see later adaptations, the whole kind of Nigel Bruce Barbie old duffer thing doesn't ring quite, quite, quite so no. charmingly when you're a bit older. But nonetheless, uh, that, that's where it started for me, and there's a kind of real, even now I'd still say Basil Rathbone is is, is a top, top Sherlock. Um, and l- luckily now through, you know, the, the power of the internet, we can listen to the radio shows he did uh, in the 50s as well. Oh, um, with the adverts for wine in the middle. Yeah, um, Petri wine. <laughs> Petri wine, yeah. Um, but, you know, you've got um, Anthony Boucher there writing new original stories. But the charm, the charm of Rathbone is, is there. But the, the route to me to the stories actually then was haven't got that initial taste. It was when Granada did the the, Brett, the very first Brett series. I thought this, this is top notch. And you, if you remember in the advert, it had the Paget illustrations. And I thought I've got yeah. to go and look these up. And I think. I think it was um, Dylan's, which is uh, a bookshop that used to be at the bottom of Bowl Street in Liverpool. Yep. Where I got, I've actually got it in front of me now. My very first Penguin Complete Sherlock Holmes with the amazing, if you've not got it uh, or, or ever read, a Christopher Morley introduction. Yes, uh, I have read that, yeah. And, it, you know, it, it, I'm sure it's available online, but it's a real charming intro to the world of Holmes. And, you know, just even reading that, you think uh, he, he actually hits the nail on the head of why we love love him you know which let, let's be honest you know the the this isn't Agatha Christie you know and if it was all around the puzzles we'd read them once but what what Morley gets is actually it, it's the stories themselves and the interplay with Holmes and Watson and you know the charm of the story so you know to, to me you know even though there's always and there's what there's one in the blue card bunker the clever hat incident but there's a there's a hundred incidents where you know Holmes reads Watson's mind or you know, he, he has to look at a walking stick. That's that's great and it's charming, but really the tricks. The tr- if the tricks were all it was, yeah. you'd never go back and read them. But there's a charm yeah. in those stories that actually you could reread them straight afterwards and still enjoy them. You know, it's not even you know you forget. You know, there's a load load of crime. I I do like crime novels. You know, but if you read a John Dixon Carr, you're not going to read that straight away because the whole thing is the trick, isn't it? It's the locked room. Yeah. And, and that isn't what these stories are about for me. Um, so, so to answer your question, to, to the route to the stories was kind of Rathbone to Brett to, to, to the to the book, uh, you know. And you, you know, and, and I, I still return to those stories again and again. I, what I don't tend to do, if, if I'm honest, Carl, uh, is read the four longer, um, not novels. This, this is a theme, actually. This has become a theme that Neil Atkinson spoke about this in the first one, where he was saying. Um, although we all like studying Scarlet, we only like about half of it. Well, um, I think with the four, the four, not, I'm not, I'm, I'm still call them novels, even though they're not really long enough to be novels. Yeah. In, in all four, Holmes is only there for half of them. Uh, so yeah. the other half, you know, of um, if, if you think of um, probably the sign of four is the one where he's most present. But you know, half of studying Scarlet, half of the Valley of Fear, it's not a, it's a separate story, isn't it? You know, yeah. and even though the bits that he's in are great. Uh, to me, it, it, he, he never worked as a, as a longer format kind of thing. And I think that's where, you know, obviously there's a huge market in pastiches and stuff now where people make the mistake 
is they write novels. So, you know, there's a ton of Sherlock pastiche novels out now. It, that's not the right format for him. You know, I, th- I think for me, it's always been the short story. Yeah, the, the, sh- the short and punchy ones, the, th- the three-acts ones. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I was going to yeah. say, speaking of Jeremy Brett ones, before, did you know that the Priory School was filmed at um, our school, well, the girls' school? Opposite the road. Ah, yeah, I, I did, and and I remember that league league as well. A, was a, a red-headed league was filmed uh, at, at the at the institute because the the bank and the concert hall where he he, he watches the violin concert with our old gaff. Uh, basically. Was it? I didn't know yeah. that. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, if you, if you if you check that one out, and it's it's you know uh, I'm, I remember um, you know my dad actually pointing it out, saying that's your school, isn't it? So and I thought. Yeah, I hated so much. I blanked it out, Dad, but thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, so um, so that, yeah, that's the Liverpool think, Institute, which is now the Paul McCartney Fame School. Paul McCartney you. School of Fame, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think uh, a lot, you know, because obviously now um, Liverpool's still used by a, a lot of kind of big films because it's still got a lot of kind of Georgian and Victorian yeah. architecture. So, you know, I think they do Peaky Blinders there as well. Yeah. Um, that type of thing. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, uh, you know, it, it, it was really the sort of... What once I'd got past the kind of the the Brett thing into the books, and to be to be fair, you know the, the Brett stories are in in the first couple before a the, the series went off beam and Jeremy was ill. Um, yeah. You know I think they they were right on the money in terms of the spirit of the show. You know they didn't overplay the deer stalker. Or they did they pop it on in silver blaze as is right and proper. But you know even down to the pipes he smoked was much more accurate. Than this kind of, if you like, the the screen Sherlock, which took its leave from from Gillette in terms of the pipe and the deer stalker and that kind yeah, of. Yeah, so, exactly. So to me, I always I'm always a bit wary of any kind of Sherlock film or, or TV show where it's where the deer stalker comes out right at the start. You know, so don't uh, don't get it wrong. Do not get it wrong. Um, yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way about that. Um, I, the second question I always ask, and I know the answer to this, and the reason I know the answer to this is obviously because we go back, um, but where you were the first person I mentioned this podcast to when I had the original idea, and uh, I said, obviously, you get first dibs, and you said you wanted the blue carbuncle. So I, I'm going to ask the question, did you like the story, Paul? Y- yes, I did, Carl. <laughs> And uh, there is there is um there's a there's a sour note in it for me which I'll, I'll I'll come back to but but the reality is and again it goes back to what I was saying before with you know these aren't the you know it isn't called the puzzle of the blue carbuncle it's it's the adventure of the blue carbuncle yeah. and it, even though they were collected afterwards in the strand you know that the, the af, in fact after the blue carbuncle and into the return all of the stories are prefixed with the adventure of yeah and and to me that that's what this is about which is this is an adventure story you know and what we like about Holmes and why we wouldn't like Mycroft is he gets out there you know he's, he's crawling around at night you know there's, there's a ton of stories where he breaks the law you know that, that that's why we like him you know because he's not an armchair detective he actually gets out there and I'm, story- I'm loving the idea of the Mycroft home stories now where <laughs> man just sits in the chair and go yeah it was Adams who killed him yeah, well, yeah, that, end that, of story. Apparently, from what I gathered, the whole precept of Nero Wolf, who came a lot later, was was that was exactly that. It was an armchair detective modelled on Mycroft, who just he yeah. was a fat bloke who sat in a chair and solved cases without getting out. So it, the, you know, and I'm sure there's a good there's a market for that kind of stuff. But but to me, you know, we know we know Holmes gets into fisty scuffs. He, you know, he's not a bad boxer. But you know, he's out there. You know, Charles Augustus Milverton, he's breaking into people's houses. You know, yeah. So, so to me, this is a kind of this is kind of you know pure undistilled adventure stuff. So you know after the kind of Henry Baker hat episode, which is that tricky bit we talked around before, where yeah. he, you know he shows off a bit. Although I'm not sure the big heads equal big brains, if truth be told. Yeah, there's, there's a touch of you know. Uh, um, of but, but the reality is, from that moment on, what you know, we're, we're off, we're off out, aren't we? We you know we go to the pub, we go to the market, you know, we go all over the place. And there's something quite satisfying about the whole kind of. Uh, the, the adventure qualities of these stories and that, you know, and it's not just this one, uh, you know, where, you know, he, he, he's out there. And I, I think where Conan Doyle's really clever is, you know, people who haven't read the stories assume there's going to be, you know, a good paragraph or two of description of the weather and stuff because, you know, everyone assumes it's, you know, it's the foggy London. But actually with one sentence in any story, he nails that straight off. He's a really economic writer. So he'll yeah, just very, yeah. think like it was a damp evening in autumn. That, that's all you need. And then basically, you know, it's a damp evening in autumn and that underpins without any more description. So it's the same here. You know, we know it's a cold, it's Christmas time, it's cold. 
And yet our imaginations make every scene in that story cold and, and snowy and what have you, because yeah. the way he uses language doesn't revisit that. It just says it's, 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 it's very much straightened. It's, it's like, this is what it is now. Story. Mm-hmm. Move along, move along, move along. And I think the fascinating thing about the blue carbon colours, um, we will we will get to the deductions, but because um, that's just great. But it's a very very linear story. There's no gaps at all. It's yeah. literally um, Peterson comes in, then they go down to the Alpha Inn, then they go down to Covent Garden, and then yeah. they bring um, they bring him back again. And it feels like the whole story is wrapped up in an hour. But what an hour! Yeah, he's giving you he's giving you a really good hour there. It is, and I think you know um, what what. You, you tend to get in some some of the slightly longer ones is uh, a little bit of Watson's in the dark and initially so are we and we're like you know what's you up to next but but actually we we're we're almost live on this one so you know as soon as we know about the geese right okay that's the next step in the chain and then you know ultimately we get to there's a load of geese and it's gone and he's picked the wrong one up you know so effectively yeah. we're, we're hearing it as it happens so there isn't that kind of dramatic reveal uh, to some extent because you're sort of going along with it and um you know uh I, I quite like that kind kind of thing you know there's a sense of you there in the moment and i think you know one of the things that uh i've always found with watson because watson comes and goes doesn't he in terms of his involvement and you know obviously in this one he, he's a pretty what, well- watson watch we call it on this show Watson, 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 Watson. Well, well, this Watson. one, you know, he's 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 there for the ride, but but to me, that that that's part of the fun because let let's be honest, when I'm reading it, I'm Watson, so I'm the vicarious. Yeah, Watson. of course, yeah. You know, so so to me, um, it, it, what you feel here is you're there being carried along by by the adventure, if you like, and I think that's quite a nice, cosy feeling, which ties into that Christmassy thing that there's a you know at the end of it. Let's be honest, and I, and I will come back to my sour notes, but all's well in the world, uh, all's well in the world at the end of it, and that's to me the most Christmassy aspect of it, not the kind of letting off of Ryder, which is I'm going to tell you now that is my sour note because I I love it when. You know, he's judge, jury, and executioner, and you know, yeah. he lets Jack off because it's just that he does. But let's be honest, you know, this guy's a slimy bleeder, isn't he? <laughs> you know, yeah. and he, he deliberately frames somebody else who, who would have been potentially hung, uh, and deliberately it wasn't, you know, saw the blue carbuncle, thought I'll have that. He planned that with the maid, and you know, and set somebody up to take the fall. So Holmes's, you know, Christmas spirit of letting him off doesn't quite work for me um just because and i love it when he does that but i think this fella he, he should have sent him down basically well, p- particularly as well when, when you look at a case of identity where he says a man faking letters on a typewriter will very much one day end up on the gallows yeah well hang on <laughs> <You know>? yeah <laughs> and also i mean th- this is just me being overly nice as well i don't like the fact that he lied to his sister I know. He's a shady bloke. He's a shady bloke. Yeah. It's, it's, it's right. And poor, poor Horner there. You know. Uh, you know. Luckily, you know, he, he it's okay because you know the final paragraph is very much you know now there's no case against him. He'll be fine. But you know, um, I I just think it doesn't quite sit with his Sherlock's other you know letting them off stories where you know let let's be honest in a lot of those there's a kind of fist pumping. You know, in, in the Abbey Grange, you think, you know, go on, that that that's the right decision. Maybe. Yeah, that's the right thing to do. He's a good man. He, he did he did a naughty deed for a good reason, and you can yeah, you understand. Yeah. Why I think, you know, and I think that's where for me, there's a, you know, let, let's be honest, the stories are inconsistent within themselves, and um, and and you know, when you when you sort of you know, just going off the beaten track now, uh, as I'm sure some of you are the guests do or don't i don't know but um, pretty much every single one so far <laughs> but um i i you know you, you learn things as you go but you know to me obviously the definitive you know annotated edition now is leslie Klinger's book but when i was a kid i had a a, a book edited by baron gould which and i didn't know this at the time what he'd done is ordered them uh, and, and it's an annotated edition it's it's a huge book uh, but he'd ordered them using the kind of dating in um in the stories um and what, what you notice with that then is not, it's pretty much well nigh impossible to have any degree of internal consistency with it. Oh, because, God, not at all. Because let's be honest, you know, Conan Doyle didn't have, you know, a, a series Bible here. He just literally made it up as he went along. Um, you know, so this wasn't a kind of part of some grand plan. So when he refers to, you know, a case in this year, and it doesn't necessarily follow that the case before it was the one that is actually. Before. Exactly, yeah. It's just a little bit of that in this one, too. So he said on, on the. Uh... The stories that you previously chronicled, and he actually goes through them all. Yeah. Um, um, which, but bearing in mind that they were released as serial, so he's pretty much saying, "Don't forget, go back and read this one. It's really good." 
So that yeah. is a little advert in the story. So, you know, there's actually a reason why he's done that. Um, yeah. And then he starts, obviously, with the ones that don't exist, mm. which, are, which are obviously half the fun. They're yeah. the best and, ones. And, yeah, and one, yeah, one, one thing we don't need, Carl, pray, pray God, is yet another... Let, let's do a, a, a new version of the giant Ratatouille because everyone, again, how many has there been now? Yeah, well, we've had we've had that, and let's be honest, everyone has a go at the um, you know the, the lighthouse and the cormorant at some point the, as well. Yeah, the politician that trained cormorants. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we, we're, I'm going to have on um, to discuss the final problem. We're going to have Bert Cools on the show. He's agreed to do it, and um, he's actually done. Uh, the lighthouse, the train corner, but it actually took two plays. It's a really, really long play rather than just a one-off radio edition. Yeah. Just to sort of fit it all in, and it's very really good the way he does it. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I think once, once, Bert, if I might call him that, uh, you know, because at the beginning of the radio stuff, uh, he wasn't the sole, you know, writer and stuff. Yeah. Effectively, you know, and for those extra ones. You know, I remember when they they were announced, and it, obviously Michael Williams had died, and it was like, oh, is Andrew Sachs gonna gonna? And you know what? They, the the quality of those um, further adventures is fantastic. Andrew Sachs is a great Watson. You really uh, is. Uh, you know, so I would easily put him up there with Michael Williams. But you know, it, the, the fact that that Michael Williams and Clive Merrison under Bear Cools' the supervision did the whole lot is is the only instance I know and and the quality it is the only it, 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 yeah, I looked it up it is the only um, he, Michael, Clive Merrison is the only person to do it and I am trying to speak to him <laughs> yeah well I uh, tell yeah, you that. Yeah, more than happy for you to pass on my details as well <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely um that yeah, that that would be quite something to, to get Clive Maris on because to me, to me, you know, you were talking before about Basil Rathbone. For me, he has got the face of Holmes, but yeah. um, when I went back and watched the films again, um, I did think, what's he doing getting in a car? Yeah. You know, why not? He's using a phone. You know, what's going on? What about the telegram office? Why is he yeah, sent Billy the, the page boy? The, the, the one thing that disturbed me, there's one of them where he has this wispy front combed haircut, um, if, if you recall that. And it, it, yes, it, I do remember that. Yeah. It, it's not a good look. It really isn't. No. <laughs> That's really strange. Whereas when Jeremy Brett gets up in the morning and his hair's all over the place before he screams it back. He looks like a complete. It looks really good for some reason. It really seems because <laughs> he's lazy, isn't it? Because that's because Holmes is basically lazy. Um, yeah. I, I will try and get back to the story. Uh, I will do that as much as possible. It's a Christmas story, and I've um, I read the annotated um, Sherlock Holmes by Leslie Klinger, friend of the show, mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, he says it was, it's a big claim. This, but it could, bearing in mind it was something like fifty years earlier, but he claims that uh, this may be more Christmassy than a Christmas Carol. I can sort of see that in a way. It is the Sherlock Christmas story, and it's the only holiday story there is. It's never mentioned again. Yeah. So no, it you, was written purposely. You could be this. right. I mean, I think, um, and, and I, I always get confused really by by Victorian Christmases because you know clearly the Victorian area was when some things that we now associate with Christmas were introduced, and I think the common thinking it was Prince Albert, um, you know, the, the royal consort who introduced trees yeah. and things like that. Yes. So whenever I read a contemporary writer writing around Victorian Christmases and it's all the kind of, you know, the puddings in the trees, uh, there's something in me which is, ah, now, really, because I'm not sure they were all there at that time. So I I think what you don't get in the blue car bunkle is a lot of trappings with, you know, trees and puddings and stuff like that. The yeah. goose. The goose is a thing, and you know the, the yeah, the, the, that that was a thing. The, the Christmas time, yeah, sentiment, but, but you're right. I mean, Christmas Carol, despite its title, doesn't have a lot of Christmas trappings either. No, uh, you know, and it's it's it, it just happens to be called a Christmas Carol, but you know, there's not a lot of you know baubles and and Christmas puddings in there. And again, what I think what probably makes it similar to the Blue Carbuncle is it's that sentiment of forgiveness and which yeah. makes Christmassy. You know, that's what unites. Goodness is one, and that's enough. Yeah, that, that's, that's right. pretty much that's what the sentiment <laughs> is really. Yeah, so I think I think what you've got there is you know a story that that is it is the only one in the canon that's set at Christmas, but o- overtly has a references Christmas. So it's not you know as you know I was saying before he might make a throwaway remark at the start around the time of the year, but but there's enough in there that reminds you that it's Christmassy in the end point when he when he yeah he openly says around letting letting um, Ryder off. It, it, it's a Christmassy thing to do, isn't it? You know, so uh, it probably sits outside the normal canon in the sense that it's. It, the I'm glad you said that. It does sound a bit like it does feel like a Christmas special. It's the only yeah, thing yeah. Is Christmas special. And what I don't know, Carl, and you, you might, is when it was published in the Strand, was it a Christmas special? Was it published in the Christmas edition or. 
Uh, let's see if producer John can join us. <laughs> on that. John, you're working. Um, give give me a moment. I am uh, finding that. January 1892. Oh, perfect, oh. yeah. Nearly, nearly. Nearly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, so it was in people's minds when they read it. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it could the January issue could have been published like the end of December, perhaps as well. In theory, like the old Radio Times, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many similarities. Yeah. So I think I think you know, in that sense, that that makes more sense because I think you know what what people probably don't know if they were to pick up the collection these days is the serial publication of of you know the Strand and effect, effectively the. The, the massive seller that it was because there was a new home story in it as it, as it yeah. grew, grew and took off. So yeah, intuitively there's something around is the Christmas flavor and timing wise, you know, it could well be that that January issue was released in December to capitalize on, you know, let's be honest, Conan Doyle wasn't shy of making a few quid when, when there's some money on the table. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And you can't blame him. You can't blame him. No, absolutely. no I mean, talk about milking it and to, to see how he tried to kill off Sherlock, obviously, but, um, these are very early days. You know, he's still making his, a bit of a name for himself. In, well, he's making the character a name for himself as well. Uh, I think one thing that's chanced through as well to make it a Christmas special is Holmes is in a good mood. He is. He is. Which, he's, which he's, is he's, quite rare. He's, well, he's, he's less sarcastic about the hat than he, than he normally would be. Yeah. And I, when, I think when, you're when right. There, there, there is something um, that, that, that there's, there's a kind of, there's, there's two sides to Holmes when he's with Watson. And one is the kind of, almost that kind of chirpy, sarkiness which is you know good humors um and and you get and that's the that i like that but then yeah. you get Holmes being quite nasty to him Vicious, uh, yeah. and that 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 isn't so much fun and if you think around you know the character yeah yes he, he's a raspy old bugger and you know but actually uh, i i prefer it when he's got that kind of sparky uh, pop a ho- uh, Watson rather than that kind of vicious side to him, and I think in this and, and also to the to the to the um, to the clients as well. Yeah, so I, th- I think you know in this one he 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 doesn't disparage the police. He doesn't disparage Watson terribly much. Um, you know, I think <laughs> I think there's something around. Um, you know, as I say, his questionable sense of justice at the end, but it, it's probably the one from from front to back where he he's he's chipper all the way through, and I do love the kind of. The, the the particular section where he has a bit of a uh, uh, a bit of banter with the, the market holder over because he's a betting man and Breckenridge, he, yeah. he makes it into a bet and again it, it's it's a really kind of charming scene where you know and afterwards he has a little joke with Watson so uh, going back to this sense of adventure it's it's a jolly adventure you know it it, it there's no dark side to this one yeah there's no danger is there it's no, just no, a... no. you know and and at the end of the day. You know, despite my ongoing <laughs> annoyance over, over poor poor Horner, um, n- nobody dies. You know, it's not it's not a case of you know high passion where someone's murdered or the usual you know someone with a dark history in America that's going to be come and find them out. Um, you know, they, 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 there's no there's no real um, problems with this one in terms of you know uh, evil if if you like. And and in some ways, you know, I think the point we made before, quite a lot of those early stories, and I think actually in this story it might even be said. A lot of his stories don't actually have a crime in them. Uh, no, there's, there's, we've I've been discussing this every every single week so far up until this point. We've got the bank robber Clay, um, who genuinely is arrested, um, but Sherlock is slightly reluctant to do so because he admires him. Uh, he lets uh, off Turner in the Boscombe Valley mystery, even though he's actually killed somebody, uh, and things like case of identity. There's no actual crime involved, and um, yeah. that man with a twisted lip. No, not really. So it's not morally great what he did, but it's um it's certainly not not no crime involved. There is a next the next edition obviously, which is uh, I'm doing Speckled Barn next. Mm-hmm. Um, fair bit of fair, fair bit of few crimes in that one, but yeah. um no it, it's um yeah, it's it's funny you should say that before when you said about these are adventures where I'm, I'm trying not to leap ahead so much in terms of what's coming up because this one's going to be ages away. But um I like the fact that Thorbridge is the problem, yeah. Thorbridge, not an adventure. It's yeah. a problem. Yeah. And uh, isn't it the Rygate puzzle or the Rygate yeah. squires? Because I've seen two titles for that. It's yeah. a puzzle rather than a, you know, let's go jumping through the streets of London yeah. in, a, in a handsome cab and, you know, yeah. Tra- I, think, I, I, think, I think you're right, Carl. I mean, I think, you know, t- to me, the best, the best of the stories might have a puzzle at their heart. So if you take the dancing men as an example, it, it's actually, it, it's. 
it's it's quite amazing to me sometimes, particularly if you look here at um, things like the Five Orange Pips, the Dancing Men, Scandal of Bohemia. He actually doesn't win the case, and yet the adventure element is still there. And you know, um, some of it you think, yeah, that that's because you know it's just fate was against him. But in in some cases, and I would say probably in if you used something like the Dancing Men. He, he, I don't, you know, personally think he did enough. You know, he could have gone down there, stayed with them, but he let that happen and got there too late. So so to me, some of those adventures are let down, not because he doesn't solve them, because I think Scandal and Bohemia is really good because he doesn't solve them, but it's still a good story. Yeah. There's some of them where he doesn't solve them because he, he didn't act enough, you know, and I think that's, they're the stories that irritate me. So the Five Orange Pips is always... Five Orange Pips, yeah, it's the famous one, yeah. Because he, you know, he, he could have solved that and prevented the death, but it was almost like he couldn't be asked going down. Yeah, re- resident patient is another. Yeah, yeah. He's, so he's you know, knows what's going on there in advance, and the other one is actually it's the last one actually. Retired Cullerman. Yeah, so I think you know if you look, if you look at his hit race as a detective, he's not he's not always great, really, is he? But you no. know, I think again, but drawing it back to this story though, it's 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 linear, but it's it's the resolution, isn't it, that you know makes it nice and and it's rich. It's a really rich story. This there's so much going on. Yeah, at the time, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the um, uh, obviously there's the hat, there's the, the, the deductions, uh, which I'm going to come back to on this because I've got a theory about Henry Baker. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's the um, drawing out the bet. If you'd gone there and said, Where'd you get the geese from? Their man wouldn't have shut up fast yeah. enough, but you bring it out as a bet and he wins that way. Mm-hmm. And the way he gets, even even the things the way he gets um, the, the landlord at the Alpha, the landlord at the Alpha Inn, he gets him to talk. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's just because he's just being completely civil to him. You know, if if your if your beer is as good as your geese, yeah, and you know, it's like a cajoling rather than right. What happened with this? You know, it's 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 that sort of niceness to it. I was going to mention he's in a good mood. Um, where, where is, for example, I spoke to Trevor Bond about um, the red-headed league, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we pointed out that um, he treats Jabbers Wilson quite disgracefully. <laughs> he really is rude to him all the time. Uh, him and Watson laugh at him when he says, you know, the the, the league has been disbanded. Yeah. Um, I like when he's talking to Peterson, when he, he says, you know, when he comes back in again, he says, what's happened is that the goose um, developed winds and flapped, flown out the window. And they have a little giggle at that. But it's not a nasty joke, yeah. but it's a joke. <laughs> and that's very unlike Sherlock. It, it is. And I think, you know, when, you, when you're sort of, obviously when that story starts, you're not quite sure where it's going to go because it's not the typical client coming in with a case. It's it's the it's the commissioner Peterson who comes in with you know a story, and it, you know uh, I mean to be fair, he, he could have just pocketed it and that was we would never have had a case. So you know, to, yeah. to, to, you know uh, that there's, there's some noble behaviours despite some of the ignoble behaviours in this story, and yet you know there's never there's never a sense of you know you know thank, thanks very much for giving me this really expensive diamond. Yeah, here's a few quid for your trouble. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, here's, so, a, here's, uh, an, or, here's an orange and a, and a spinning top for your child. Yeah, so you know, I mean, it, it, I just think there's something there, and you know, I'm sure it wasn't a, a, a deliberate thing in 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 the sense that it was holding the story back, but a little bit of you know, yeah, you know, here's, here's a few quid made for you know giving up this multi-million pound diet. <laughs> Yeah, thanks so much <laughs> you know treat God bless him, a new hat or something you know what I mean? so um yeah I, th- I, th- I think there's a but in some ways that's part of the kind of the, the the fantasy elements of this story isn't it in that you know that it unlike some of the others which are you know let's be honest if you take the abbey grange it's a grim story at heart but this one that even with a crime potentially that someone's going to get hung for <laughs> oddly enough it there's a levity to it isn't there right, yeah. right from the get-go and you know it, it, it you know I, in some ways the tone of the adventure is set by that little intro in in the sitting room at baker street and that that's what we love isn't it that little bit but, but he's, he's not even examining the hat it's just on a chair he's reading it's the papers chair, once it comes in <laughs> and, as in uh, i've done that I've done that, Watson. What do you think? So I can tell you how wrong you are. You're yeah, big, exactly. You yeah. big thicko. <laughs> yeah, then, then I'm a really good go at you at the same time while doing it. Um, my my Henry Baker theory is, and, and I know that um, all the, there's going to be two dimensional characters in this world because there just has to be because because the, the 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 leading two are so big in all the stories. And yeah, you know, you've got the um, you know Lestrade comes in. He's he's a bit more sort of a bit more central and he's got a bit of flesh around his character. Yeah. But isn't Henry Baker Jabbers Wilson? Isn't it the yeah. same thing? 
yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a catalyst, isn't he? You know, yeah. to, to, get, to get the story going. and you Even, know, even but, the fake Latin and all that sort of stuff, the disjected member of my former acquaintance, you know, the pompous, yeah. the pomposity of it all. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, the... the there's a there's a thing isn't well there's a couple couple of things but the thing I'm going to tell you about first is Conan Doyle always maintained apparently and this this is this came from another Christopher Morley article um, around something like if if you take all the stories and, and publish them in reverse the quality would be just as good now we all know that's absolute nonsense <laughs> yes <laughs> it really is it really is and I'm, so I'm really it, looking forward to discussing the case book I might yeah so yeah not. when when you, let's let's be honest you know and the, the most obvious example is the three garrett devs which is the red-headed league mark two with just a different variation on how do we distract somebody out of the way while we go right uh, well as is a stockbroker's clock uh, yeah, so so you know, three times. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that that claim from Conan Doyle that they would be as fresh in reverse is, is quite the case. But I think I think what you, you you sense here is you've still got partly because of Conan Doyle's passion for the character at this point, and he hadn't gone off in yet. Is that kind of on balance? You know, Holmes is a better fella in these earlier stories, just as a kind of you know, he's less he's less vicious to people, and when he does it. Uh, in this stage it's because he's right so if he's having a pop at somebody it's usually because they are worth having to pop at so yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so it's not gratuitous with, so with with jabez wilson for example there's something there around yeah poor jabez he's been led down a merry path but at the end of the day he's a greedy bugger on an easy ticket and he's been you know it's been stopped so you know deal with it mate <laughs> you know so um you know and and, and i i think that's where probably jabez wilson is probably more deserving of this of the slap down. oh he definitely is yeah because henry baker's just a man who's fallen on bad times and it isn't a bad yeah man or, yeah so i think i think like henry that. you know he's clearly just you know t- taken taken to the drink like like uh like apparently watson does on occasion or his brother and he could be going down that path anytime soon but yeah you know um i, I think there's something a bit more innocent about henry baker because he you know he feels he feels like he does genuinely feel like a geezer who's fallen on hard times he's having a bad run so probably less deserving of, of a kicking really yeah i think but um I, I suppose also you can't really if the format works stick with the format i mean again it's the same with lots of mary sutherland and yeah. violet hunter and I forgot, I forgot the name of the woman in uh copper beaches but you know it, it, it's it's pretty much all the same uh and also the woman in bruce partington plans yeah. is she violet hunter i think she's violet hunter um i think i think there's a lot of that to it but um it is a great story because it's got the lot it's got the the nice opening scene it's got the big big massive deductions thing i love the thing about the um uh, it's very likely he hasn't got ga- uh, gas laid on in his house mm. because he walks upstairs and holds his hat in one hand. How's the candle wax going to get onto the hat if he's carrying them in both hands? I don't quite understand that. Um, there is one problem with this, and, and uh, as I do these shows, I like to find one thing that's not right with the story. And obviously, mm. the big one was the man with the twisted lip last time. Um, uh, geese do not have a crop. Oh, wow. That's I didn't know that until yesterday. So thank you, Leslie Klinger, for pointing that out. They don't have crops. Well, I have to say, um, it, much it, as, much as I admire um, Leslie, and you know, obviously he's a fan of the show, um, I, I, I stopped reading the, the annotated edition because as soon as somebody points out a plot flaw, it can actually spoil the yeah. story for you. And that was the case, yeah. and going back to the five orange pips, the five orange pips actually makes no sense whatsoever plot-wise. Um, because the, the the conclusion doesn't actually fit the actual problem that's been there. But what and I'd never thought of that. I'd always just enjoyed the story as. But once I knew there was a plot hole, I, I can never enjoy it now. So so there's something around um, not not probing too deeply into some of the the plot detail and. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think I I I what whilst we're discussing this story and you know in 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 the sense that it's an enjoyable tale I, I i've almost pulled back from what i used to love buying which were you know the annotated sherlock holmes or you know uh, a volume that had some kind of criticism in it because it can really taint some of the stories once you've got something in your mind which you think oh actually no that doesn't sit with me anymore um and and you know so i almost um 
I've, I've almost bec- become quite skilled, at, you know, because when I used to overthink things like the like the tallow on the hat, think, oh, that's not right. Whereas now I just I just skip that, that bit really quickly, so it doesn't yeah. bother me too much. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's it's not ruined it for me. It's it's still a great. Uh, everyone likes the, the list of deductions and the fact that they got they get more preposterous as they go along. Yeah. And ending with the big one about he probably asking, "Oh, this is wife has ceased to love him," you know that sort of thing. Yeah, um, well, it, it, it's, uh, it's the fun, it's the fun quality of those things, yeah. isn't it? and I think you know um, it, it, you always get that kind of po- post explanation Watson. Oh, it was absurdly simple type of thing. You know, yes, that. you really <laughs> cannot see how obvious this is. Of course, <laughs> I can't. And you know, and, and Paul Watson isn't stupid. You know, despite, you know, the Nigel Bruce incarnation and what have you. He's not stupid at all, but no. give him some credit. To me. Um, we're running up to the hour. So um, my final question is, is one I ask everyone. This is you love this story. Mm-hmm. Would you like to come on and discuss a story you don't like? And what story would that be? Well, I think the most hated story has got to be the Mazarin Stone, hasn't it? Uh, and I'm so pleased I, you said that. I, I don't, Me, you I, and Leslie Klinger agree on that. I think I think you probably have a cube for that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, if you if you're short of them, I can I can spit venom on that story for a good good half. I, I remember you. This this must have been 20 years ago. We had this conversation where um, you accused Sir Arthur Conan Doyle of having a night out on the source and then writing the Three Students. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think three. I think students, it's not bad, but I remember you saying it's it's not it's not the May West, but it, it's it's leagues above the Mazarin Stone. Isn't yeah, it, I think everything is. To be um, honest. So, yeah. So if you if you do uh, if you do if you do need somebody to come and you know shit all over a story for half an hour, that I'll be <laughs> would you believe? I've actually thanks thanks to producer John here. I've actually got someone who's doing it who likes the story. So really? that's what, gonna what, be what, what what lunatic is this? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Um, but in the meantime, uh, Paul, thank, Paul, I'm going to call you because I'm being for, formal host on this one. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, it'd be great if you could come on again and discuss another story. It's been an absolute pleasure, Carl, and I'd love to. Brilliant. I would like to thank our host at Rippercast as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Rees. A special thank you too to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at Adler to Amberley. Thank you for listening.